Trump University is proud to present Own a Business and a Life with Jeff Burroughs, interviewed by John Ward. Jeff Burroughs has been an entrepreneur all his working life with successful careers in business radio and television and in the investment banking world. After meeting Michael Gerber, the famed author of The E-Myth, he started out on a completely new path as a teacher and coach to business owners. Today, as an E-Myth master coach, Jeff is an advocate for others who are striving to realize their dreams. Jeff Burroughs' teaching career has by now spanned over 20 years, spent counseling owners of small to mid-sized companies and training other coaches. He shows business leaders how to get more life from their businesses, as well as more money, and how to win the entrepreneur's ultimate prize, financial freedom. Let me ask you, Jeff, Tell me a little bit about your life as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Well, I've actually never worked for anybody, so uh, <laughs> never had a paycheck, was uh, totally dependent on uh, every job I ever had was my own. And I spent 15 years basically in the investment business. So I managed money for business owners. That's who I was drawn to. That's who I was attracted to. And what I began to see was a trend. And even though these men and women had successful businesses, they didn't necessarily have the life they wanted. So there was this component of life missing. I saw common frustrations. I saw common reasons that they, in fact, didn't have the life that they wanted as it related to the business that they had built. And when I left the investment business, because it was all-consuming as well, so I decided I needed to walk my talk, and I began uh, ferociously reading. And I read and discovered a very universal system for the foundation of the success that I had seen in all these companies. So it all began stringing together how simple the path actually was. I saw the building blocks uh, begin to come together. And I realized that my gift was actually to teach, to coach, to speak, to engage people. I personally got in touch with what I really loved to do. And so I pursued teaching and coaching of these principles and decided to bring it to, if you will, the small business world, not just the corporate business world. And so I started a company to do that uh, 12 years ago. And to date, we have been successful with over 25,000 businesses. So over 25,000 companies have um, gone through our process. And we've worked with companies from $500,000 car washes to $50 million construction companies and everything in between. What sort of results have you achieved for those companies? Most of the owners begin the work by thinking that they obviously want to increase revenue and increase their income and increase their sales. It's all about the money. That's what they tell you. The truth is they actually want to change something to get that life component in place that they don't now have. And they are willing to discuss that, uh, but they don't come at that initially because the drive today, uh, especially here in America, is so uh, driven towards the bottom line profitability and the competition is so fierce. But the life piece is, is very substantial. And the life piece looks like, how does this business serve my life? How is it possible for me to have this great company and to have the life that I want? So it sounds as if uh, primary contribution you've made to these clients you've had is to improve the quality of life of these business owners. What about the businesses themselves? Mm -hmm. How have they thrived? Mm -hmm. It's the natural extension that you get if you take care of self. Uh, your business uh, is obviously also moving in the right direction. So examples include well, the construction company I was referring to. They started with us seven years ago. They were a $15 million business. Today, seven years later, they're a $50 million business. So that's a substantial uh, turn. They also generate uh, almost two percentage points higher in net profit margin than the industry norm. Uh, those two criteria are very measurable indicators that have made the owners uh, very wealthy, very wealthy. And what was the single biggest change that you brought to that company? Uh, 
the single biggest change was that the owners actually documented a vision statement of where they wanted to go. So they actually put a stake in the ground that was able to say, this is what we vision, this is what we want, rather than just working every single day and being consumed by that work. So they actually documented a vision of where they wanted. Okay, so let's begin at at the beginning of, say, I've made a decision to become an entrepreneur. I don't quite know where to begin, how to start, but I have this yearning to create my own business. Okay. What do you think are some of the first steps that I need to take? Okay. Um, the first step that you need to take is what you just said, that you've decided to become an entrepreneur. So that's personal. You've said to yourself that you want to do something different. Let's assume that you are working for a major corporation, and now you've decided to be this entrepreneur. So you are first and foremost in touch with something inside of you that says you want to change. So it really is personal that you're making this decision that you're going to pour your heart and soul into this business because you are. You're the owner. (laughs) The minute you make that move, there's nobody else responsible for the vision. There's nobody else responsible for the capital. And actually, those are two of the requirements uh, of an entrepreneur that you're willing to put in capital and that you're willing to share your and document your vision. That's really what you have to start with. Okay, Jeff, it seems like we've come to our first action step here. So tell me, how, practically speaking, do I create what you're calling the vision? Very practically. (laughs) You need to sit down and document that vision. It needs to be on one piece of paper that you can frame, and you share that with everybody who'll listen. (laughs) So I don't just keep it to myself? No. Be a bad secret. Okay. Be a bad secret. <laughs> so, I, so there's a task of enrolling other people into exactly. that vision. I like to call them stakeholders because mm-hmm. the truth is if you build a company of five or you build a company of 500, everybody isn't going to love you, John. Okay? Mm. But some of them are going to love you more than others. Those are your stakeholders. Enroll them. They're your cheerleaders. So you're saying the people who work for us need to know the vision. They need to know what business we're in and where the company is going. Why is this so important? Remember, if you sign up for the entrepreneurship position, you're the leader, okay? and people need a leader. There are people who, who want to work for us, okay, who we need working for us. They don't want all the responsibility. Okay? They're not going to put any capital in the company, okay? and it's not their vision. Tell them what the vision is, have the money to make their paycheck, and they'll go to work for you. But if we're just at the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey, the vision is still a vision. I mean, how is it going to turn into profitability? So the difference between what you just brought up is vision and reality. Entrepreneurs must have a vision of where they want to take their business, and then they have to also have the gift to say reality is I'm right here. So that, And then you just draw a line. I'm hmm. right here, and here's my vision. What are the steps I need to take to get there? Hmm. And then they have to execute those steps. Well, for a startup company, that's going to be a lot of steps. I mean, you're going to have to write a business plan, I guess, and you're going to have to create a corporate entity of some kind. You're going to have to raise capital. A lot of steps that really lie outside the scope of this program because here we're focused on core principles. We're, We're looking at what it takes to become an entrepreneur. One of the things I guess it takes is to be a certain kind of person. It does. It it takes a person who, an entrepreneur is willing to risk, an entrepreneur accepts change, an entrepreneur is uh, willing to come up with a thousand ideas a day and settle on a few of them. If you've ever met one, you'll hear that, okay? They'll roll a thousand ideas out. And by the way, we all have three personalities. We have the entrepreneurial personality, we have the manager personality, and we have the technician personality. Those three are in every single person. It's just that one of them resonates more to our particular style. So the technician, the person who likes to do the actual work, the technician hates the entrepreneur, okay? Because what's the entrepreneur introducing? All these new ideas. The technician says, my God, just let me do what you told me you wanted me to do yesterday, okay? And the manager in you, what does the manager do? The manager wants to take the idea of the entrepreneur and manage it, organize it, keep it uh, in the status quo, give the reports, okay? He too can't stand the entrepreneur in him, okay? Because the entrepreneur's got the new idea and he's trying to manage what the guy just talked to him about doing. So we have all these conflicting signals that we get, 
And we have to know actually which one of those resonates most in us, okay? Are we the entrepreneur? Are we the manager? Are we the technician? We actually have all three of those characteristics. How do I find out whether I'm the right kind of person (laughs) to become an entrepreneur? I don't know that you actually become. I think you just have to know about these three personalities I just shared with you, and you learn how to use those. Because most entrepreneurs are actually technicians. They know how to do the technical thing of the business that they started. The construction workers I was just talking to you about, the construction workers used to build homes. They know how to build a building. Okay? They didn't know how to build a $50 million business. Okay? Hmm. A design client knows how to design a building. Okay? And they started a design business because they love to design. They don't know how to grow the design business. They know how to design buildings. So are you saying that the entrepreneurial part is something you can learn? All three parts you can learn. Okay? All three parts? Absolutely. Look at a, a technician. We learn how to do a technical thing, right? Um, you're an excellent speaker and copywriter. You learned how to copyright. Mm-hmm. Right? You didn't just wake up and know how to do it. You studied it. You learned it. Yes. Okay? And, and now you have a branding and copywriting company. Mm-hmm. So you're a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Are you an entrepreneur? Do you think so? I guess so. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Are you a technician? I'm that too. Exactly. And how yeah. about management? Do you like to manage? I don't like to, but I have to. Exactly. Yeah. So there you go. We all have those three personalities. What we need to understand is which one is most prevalent in us, and then where do we want to spend our time? Because if we're not really good at the other two, why don't you just spend time at what we're really gifted at? Mm-hmm. Um, and most of us don't. Because when you start that business, you're doing everything. Hmm. You're the bookkeeper. You're selling. You're collecting. You're delivering the flowers, right? Hmm. You're doing everything. You're driving the delivery truck. So when you start the business, you're doing everything. Because usually the business is you. Well, one reason that I would do it, as it were, everything in my business, and I think this is true of many business owners that I've met, is that I truly believe that I'm the best at doing what I do. And... I don't feel comfortable about passing that off to an employee, to somebody proxying for me. Right. Maybe that's egoistic, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's uncommon, mm-hmm. that feeling that this is a skill that has taken me 20 years to develop, right. and my success has been built on that skill. Therefore, it's not that easy, or it doesn't feel that safe to transfer the job to somebody else. Most business owners actually limit their growth because they keep the business just at the right size that they think they're in control. The truth is, it's totally out of control, it's full of chaos, it's full of frustrations, and the owner is not, in fact, satisfied. But he or she is doing what you just described because one of the things an entrepreneur also loves is control, okay? And that's what you just described. If you are going to make sure all those things go out the way you want them, you're controlling that whole process, aren't you? Well, I guess one of the reasons that entrepreneurs tend to like to control everything is is that often in being on business on your own or owning a business, there's an experience of simply being overwhelmed, being kind of crushed by time, so much stuff to do. What can you tell us about that dimension of the entrepreneurial life, that sense that there's just too much going on? Okay. So this is the clarity of remembering that we all have three types of personalities. And each personality we have wants to be the boss, and none of those personalities wants to have a boss. So we are in daily conflict in our mind with those three people. And And the three are? And the three are entrepreneur, manager, and technician. So What you need to know is what are you most resonant to, what is most prevalent in you, because it'll help you understand who you are, and then it'll help you understand who your coworkers are. So if you're an entrepreneur primarily, if that's the number one thing that kind of goes off in your head, then you have vision, a lot of vision. Uh, You're willing to invest money. Uh, You're a dreamer. You're a control freak. Uh, Change doesn't bother you at all. You've got a lot of imagination, and and you're full of spirit. So if you have those primary characteristics, then you're entrepreneurial. Uh, If you're the manager, you're pragmatic, you're a planner, you like order, you like innovation, you like to quantify data, the status quo is okay, and you also have some spirit because you're managing people. Your job 
is to take the entrepreneur's vision okay, and manage it. The uh, technician in you is the doer. It's the worker. You love to get your hands dirty. You like to control workflow. You like to take action. You like to grab the hammer and make it happen. Okay? Um, you know, the entrepreneur grabs a hammer and makes it happen and, you know, they, they blow their thumb out. Okay? The technician grabs the hammer and knows how to do it precision, perfectly every time. So we have all three of those personalities. Get to know which one of those in you is most prevalent. Once I've established that, let's say I'm, I'm really a technician. I, I'm a guy who just I have a certain skill. I love it. I do it. I don't, want to, I don't generally think about the bigger picture and I'm not that keen on managing other human beings. And yet I want to be an entrepreneur. What do I, what do, I do? Now I've discovered that I'm unbalanced in the direction right. of the technician. Mm -hmm. What do I do with that information? You have to learn how to apply the skill set that the entrepreneur characteristic personality is going off in your head. So how are you going to document your vision? How are you going to dream? These are things you have to learn. You're the technician. You already know how to do all that stuff. So you have to learn how to do the characteristics we just described that are common to that personality. So you have to um, do exactly what we're doing here. You have to learn from, from Trump University uh, everything that's on these tapes and in these workbooks that can help expand the areas that you're not good at. Okay, so it seems we have actually an action step here in relation to these three personalities to figure out which of the three is sort of on top and how to get the three of them in balance. I'm wondering if you can give me an example from someone you know who's, who's made this transition, particularly perhaps from technician to entrepreneur. Sure. Um, let's talk about a design client. Uh, a design client who has a particular uh, talent and an eye for uh, the way she wants her product to look, the end product to look. How is she going to keep her uh, unique style, her uniqueness uh, in her company when she's hiring other designers who what? Are all creative people. They want to put their style on it. So what she's actually done is hired senior, intermediate, and junior designers, okay? And then she's remained in the uh, sign-off, if you will, position as the ultimate senior designer. So below her, if you will, she's built a team of people that can help her get to where she wants to go because she can only do so many projects. She's only got 24 hours in the day to do it. And she's already working 26, okay? <laughs> which is true of most entrepreneurs. Okay? Their, their greatest challenge is time. Okay? At the end of the day, their to-do list isn't done. But the truth is, John, what they really need to do, they need to start creating a stop-doing list. Hmm. You know how everybody creates to-do lists? Okay? Hmm. Does anybody ever get through them? No. At the end of the day, we have this huge to-do list still. If you create a stop-doing list, it's amazing what happens. Well, that sounds good. In fact, it sounds like an, another action step. But now I'd like to ask you how these principles play out in real life. For example, the construction company you mentioned earlier. The construction company is now 30 years old. They were a 23-year-old hmm. business when they started with us. They just celebrated their 30th year. And uh, actually, this is 2005, and their strategic objective this year uh, calls for uh, $65 million of revenue. So they're going to go from oh. last year, they're going to add $15 million of revenue this year. So oh. they're continuing to grow and prosper. And tell me about what, what changed in that company to enable that to happen. Because I understand that you've helped the owners change their lives, have a better life, but how did that tremendous surge in revenue take place? It took place by having an organizational structure that would support their vision. So an organizational structure, and I know that there are some entrepreneurs listening to this that say, hey, yeah, Jeff, I'm an organization of one. Why do I need an organizational structure? Okay, because already that entrepreneur's thinking is flawed. He or she is thinking the organization is about people. The organizational chart is about functions. What are the functions that's going to be required for me to achieve my vision? So they are boxes on your chart, and in the chart are functions, which are describing what has to happen. Then hire the people. Then put the people's names in the boxes. So what happened at the construction company is they documented their vision. They rolled that out to the whole company. They got everybody involved. I call it stakeholders. Okay, Who wants to sign up for this Okay, mm -hmm. uh, and who doesn't? 
because uh, there's people in your company that actually don't because you've never told them before what they were signing up for. You just asked them to come to work and do a bunch of work, hmm. okay? So now they've put a stake in the ground. They've signed up for the work, and now you've said, here's how we're organizationally set up to succeed. This is your box. Mm-hmm. You are the head of marketing, John, okay? Mm-hmm. Here's your job. I don't mean a job description, John. I mean, here's all the things you need to do to be successful for us. Okay? And we're hiring you because we already know that you're really good at these things. Here's how we need you to do those things. So they built an organizational structure to support their strategic vision. That's how it became successful. And then behind that, you have to build systems. The key to successful businesses is operations manuals. If it's all in everybody's head and something happens to that person, guess what? It's gone. It's got to be written down. Everything has to be written. Every successful franchise has what? An operations manual. Mm-hmm. Okay? Think of any number of them. A Home Depot, mm-hmm. okay, even though it's not a franchise. Uh, a Starbucks. A McDonald's. McDonald's is the most successful franchise ever in our country's history. Mm. Okay? So think about it. How come it works? It works because of an operations manual. It's a replicatable product okay, that can happen anywhere in the world. Starbucks is the same thing. Well, stepping back from this a moment, it seems you're making a distinction between leadership on the one hand and management on the other. Can you unpack that a little bit? Leadership is all about you. Management is all about getting people to do what you want them to do. Completely different. So leadership is about vision, Capital, okay, vision, capital, and, and some spirit, spirit having to do with the actionable items, how you do it, how you conduct yourself. Um, many people can relate to the, uh, the Southwest Airlines chairman mm-hmm. who was all about fun and wrote the book about going nuts. Okay? So uh, Herb Keller, he was very much a, a, a spirited individual. He had a way and he'd show up at company parties in uniforms and in all kinds of costumes. So the way in which he did his job as the CEO demonstrated a particular spirit. That spirit carried out what? Throughout the company. Okay? You can go to another airline. Let's just pick one. American Airlines. Okay? The chairman of American Airlines would never be caught dead in one of those uniforms at a company party. It's not his leadership style. Okay? I'm not saying one or the other is better or worse. The point is, as a leader, you have to demonstrate what your particular style is. Okay? And that happened to be his. So know what your style is. Management has everything to do with delivering accountability through your people. That's really what we're saying. So when you're in management, you're trying to figure out how to deliver accountability through your people. When you're in leadership, you're leading them. When you're in management, you're giving them ways to deliver accountability that you need okay, for the leadership vision that you rolled out. Okay. So management then involves, if I'm understanding you right, more of the system side of the process. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's all about delivering accountability through having position agreements, through having results statements, through having a system strategy, for having an organizational strategy. Those are management systems that every small business owns. See, our conversation here is really the difference between big business and small business is only one thing. Big business is systems dependent. Small businesses are people dependent. Big businesses hire the best people to run their systems. Small businesses Okay. hire the best people and say, I hope you have a system. And what you are saying about that is? It can be the opposite. Small businesses can, in fact, implement exactly the same philosophies and foundation of work that the big businesses implement. So a small company can operate as a small business but have all the foundational tools essential to growing a great business. So you don't have to decide to become huge. What you have to decide to do is put in place the foundational tools of great business. And all great businesses have to have the same foundational tools. Otherwise, they're completely people dependent. And when the person leaves, the business falters. Ever heard people say, oh, if I ever lost Mary, it'd be like losing my left arm. Well, my gosh, the minute you hear that, you have to figure out, well, what is it that Mary does that's so incredible that if we lose her, it's like losing my left arm. When she's working for us, we absolutely better figure it out and get it documented. It, it makes sense, and yet the entrepreneur in me says still, 
it's hard for me to believe that if I spend the time away from my job and I'm busy enough already writing this system right. about what Mary does, that right. this document right. that has consumed my late evening hours right. is somehow ever going to measure up to what Mary uniquely brings to our business. Yeah, great point. So what ends up happening, John, is Mary actually isn't as unique as you think because she spends so much time with frustrations in your company because you have no documented way to do anything. The truth is Mary does it different every single time. So your people are doing it different every single time, their own way, okay? You just think it's working, okay? If you would take the time once to get it written, okay, although it takes time and it's painful, then we at least have a way to say, hey, Mary, follow this system, which is your system, because you're the best at doing it. You, By the way, you can have Mary write it, okay? Just give her the prototype on how to do it. Mm -hmm. okay? Have Mary write it, bring it to you, and say, okay, Mary, run this system, okay, for us, and guess what's going to happen? Mary's actual unique gifts and talents for which you hired her for are going to be more available to you because she's written out all the steps. So from everything you've been saying, I'm beginning to see the power of systems, even for a small enterprise. And it, it would seem we have another action step here, which is to create a system for each function in the business. But it could seem a little bit overwhelming. I mean, in any enterprise, whatever the business, there's just thousands of things going on. How do we get all that sort of organized and manageable? The science side is that all companies are essentially the same. And there's only seven things going on in any business. This is going to blow your mind, John. There's only seven things going on. I know you want 70 going on because you like to be busy. There's only seven things going on. There's leadership. That's you. Okay? You have to be the leader. There's marketing. You have to market. You have to what? Understand who your customer or your consumer is so that you can sell them your goods and services. You have to take care of the money they give you. So there's money. Okay? Then there's management. You hate management, John. You already told me, but we got to manage the program. We got to manage people. Okay. So we have leadership, marketing, money, and management. And then we have another three things to the business, which are basically client fulfillment, which is customer service. And then we have to generate leads and convert leads to have them become clients. So Jeff, let's give a little bit more attention to these core functions. Okay. So the leadership piece is all about you. That's what mm -hmm. I said earlier. Okay. Um, leadership requires your vision, it requires your capital, and it requires your spirit. When you are the leader of your company, that's all you're doing. Okay. If you drop down to become the director of marketing, okay, mm. then you are no longer the leader of the company. You're now the director of marketing. And if you're the director of marketing, John, I'm going to be asking you if I own the company, John, tell me who's my customer. Okay. By the way, John, marketing has nothing to do with selling. Okay. Okay. So all your salespeople out there think marketing has to do with selling. It has nothing to do with selling. It has everything to do with information and data gathering. Have you ever bought a product recently from a major company? And what do you get, John? Survey. Survey. They call you. They send you something. They email you. You take your car in for service before you're even out. They're showing you a survey and saying, you're going to get this in the mail. Will you make sure you check it? Plus 10, plus 10, plus 10. Why are they telling you that? Marketing is information. They want to understand who you are so they can sell more people like you. Okay. How does that kind of data gathering, I understand, for a multi-billion dollar corporation right. which can afford huge research departments, right. mass mailing campaigns, right. but if I'm running a fish and chip store in the Perfect. corner of a London street, how do, how do I apply this marketing model to my little... Perfect food store. So do you have a cash register, John? Mm-hmm. Okay. Does that cash register give you the ability to record information? Sure. Like what? Well, you've got me there because... <laughs> well, it's going to record uh, the time a customer comes Absolutely. in. Absolutely. It's going to record uh, each item that they're buying. Mm -hmm. uh, you're even going to have an option to put into that machine if it's a male or female. You could even have an option of scoping the possibility of the age demographic. Okay. okay. So because of technology today, we can capture so much marketing information from what we call source documents. 
So what we're looking for here is what are the source documents in your company that you can use to gather data and you don't have to go hire the $25,000 or the $250,000 marketing firm to give you the information. But you've got to get the information because you have to have information, you have to have insight, and then you have to have a strategy to go find more people to buy your stuff. That makes sense. Let's talk about the management side then. Okay. So when we move into management, it's all about delivering accountability. It's Mm -hmm. the opposite of the leadership. The leadership's about you, your vision, your action, your spirit. The management is all about delivering accountability through your people. And we have to give you as the owner the systems to do that. So you need an organizational structure. We talked about an org strategy. If you're a company of one or a company of 10,000, you have to have an org structure that lays out what this thing looks like. What are all the functions you need to succeed? Uh, You have to have a system strategy. What are all the things, all these functions need to do, Mm -hmm. people, okay, in my company at the end of the day to be successful? Look at all the things that are going on in in the studio today when we're taping this, okay? There's people back here running machines, and there's people talking in your left ear and telling you if you're doing a good job, and there's the water boy over here. This is all a system, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, if this wasn't running smoothly, we got a problem because this is expensive, okay? Understood. We're, we're renting this studio. We're paying for all this high-tech equipment. Okay, we're paying for microphones and all this stuff. What if this system wasn't working? You've got timers you're looking at. You've got all kinds of stuff going on. Okay, so this is an entire system. Right, that's very clear. Okay, it goes on in every company. Just what is the system? What 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 about when it comes to the management of people, though? Because okay. usually, I mean, I I'm learning from you now the importance of the system. At some time, we've got to put the people back in. Perfect. How so do we, we manage them? We put the people into a position agreement. We ask them to agree to a position in our company, and we tell them the result we would like them to get. Okay? We give them some standards that we would like them to adhere to that are our standards. Are they written down too? They're absolutely written down. Mm -hmm. And then we do an amazing thing. We ask them to sign that agreement, John. Oh, okay. Isn't that interesting that in life we basically sign for everything? You go buy a new car, even if you pay cash, you can't get out of there without signing a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. Try to go buy a new car and not sign a bunch of stuff. Can't do it, John. Okay? Mm-hmm. But you know what? You could go apply for a job and not sign a document. Okay? Imagine that. The only thing you have to sign is that W-2. They're going to withhold something. Imagine what you just signed up for. They're going to pay you okay, every two weeks, and you don't have to sign anything about what you're going to do. They're going to tell you they're going to pay you. Amazing. Okay, so it seems we have an action step here, which is to create a position agreement. And in fact, you've got some guidance on that in the workbook. I've got a question here. We've got the agreement. It's been signed all well and good. But what's to enforce the agreement? What's to ensure that the employee actually performs on the promise? We call that an employee development meeting. Imagine a company, John, that would be willing to invest in developing you as a person through an employee development program tied to your position agreement. So your manager, your direct report is going to meet with you routinely and check in on you relative to the results we've asked you to get and the standards we're asking you to hit. Now, the truth is most of us would like to be held accountable, but most companies don't hold us accountable. They just hope and pray that we're doing a good job. Hmm. So the position agreement gives you as the owner a management tool okay, to work with the employee who has filled a position at your company. While this feels very structured, I understand, and in a small business you think, this is never going to fly. Every variation of this concept is possible. It depends on the vibe of the leader. Have you seen it fly in a small operation? Absolutely. It's, it's what Can changed. you give me an example? Yeah. Uh, I can give you an example in a, uh, a three-member uh, architectural firm. Okay. Okay. So these three uh, men and women literally were responsible for everything that went on in the company. They did the leadership piece. They did the management piece. They did the money piece. They went and had to do the client. They had to do the drawings. They had to do all of it. So guess what we had to do? We had to lay out the position agreements for the entire organizational strategy. And then we had to say, guess what? 
Martha, you have to sign 17 position agreements. The owner of the company had to sign 19. Okay? Okay, so they're signing up for all the stuff they're doing. They got real clear about what they loved to do. And then all I did was ask them, how long do you want to stay in those 17 boxes? Within a year, okay, their company had 10 employees. They had hit their revenue benchmark they wanted to hit. Okay? They had people working for them. They hmm. got the management deal figured out. Okay? We need other people delivering accountability. We're so busy working, we're killing ourselves. Well, that segues well to the question of finance, which is another of the core <laughs> elements here. <laughs> okay. How do we bring system to finance without all becoming a CPAs? The, the good news is that uh, money systems are the most standardized that we have today uh, in all of our companies because of technology and software. So money systems are really already all written. We can buy a, uh, a money system. Uh, QuickBooks is probably the, the biggest selling one in the world today for small business. And we use that system to control our money. The truth is most business owners do not understand money. They're scared of it. And uh, you'll hear them ask for the financial statement and the income statement. They don't really want to see it because they don't understand it, but they know they're supposed to ask for it. And all they do is file it. Okay, March, whoop, done. February, done. January, done. They don't look at it and understand that it's a tool. Remember earlier we were talking about flying. There's only three instruments the pilot actually needs to fly the plane legally. That's it. But if you ever looked in a cockpit, there's 300 instruments up there. They're all about backup. They're all about additional controls. They're all about helping the pilot get you to your destination safer. So if business owners will look at money and finance as a set of controls, then they don't have to look at it as learning how to be a CPA or a bookkeeper. It's a set of controls. So controlling your money is essential. Key financial measurements that you need to follow for your company. Create a dashboard just like the pilot. The pilot has a dashboard of indicators that they're glancing at. Okay, I happened to learn how to fly a few years ago. It's all about glancing outside, inside, listening to the guy talking into your ear. Same thing with how we run our business. We have to look at and control um, our money by using those resources available to us. Okay, so we've been talking about some of the fundamental disciplines of the business, management, marketing, finance. Can you suggest some action steps that can help us build competence in these fundamental areas? So in management, remember this is about delivering accountability. The first thing to do is truly be honest with yourself and look at how you hold people accountable for a work result. How do you now do it? Okay. For, um, <clears throat> for marketing, what you want to do is take a look in the next 90 days at how your company now actually gathers data from your clients or customers. So are you truly gathering quantifiable data? And for uh, finance, what you want to do is... <laughs> This is really key. You have to understand if you're willing to expand your prosperity consciousness and the true meaning of what abundance would look like in your life. Most people don't get in touch with that. And if you get in touch with understanding prosperity consciousness and the meaning of abundance, money will flow. So we've got three clear action steps here. There's one for management, one for marketing, one for finance. But there's, you mentioned earlier there's seven, I think, key disciplines in the business. What else should we turn our attention to at this point? It's a really interesting question because um, we spent all this time talking about the components of the business and the people because until we get that right, guess what? We actually don't want to go out and have clients, do we? But eventually we got to pull the trigger and we got to sell something. So what we really haven't talked about is uh, the client or the customer. And uh, the key to that whole model is what is your promise? You have to make a decision as a company what it is you're going to actually promise to do. And then whatever you promise to do, go do that plus 1% and you'll always have profit and you'll always have satisfied customers. Don't give me this 110%. You can't go do 100 Who can give you 110% anything? Okay, it's too much. But you can give... Uh, the delivery of what your promise is plus 1%. And if you do that, 
that spells profit. Can you give me an example from companies you've known of that sure. giving that extra one percent and what it's meant in real terms to the business? Exactly. Uh, let's talk about a pool company. So having a pool put in is a big event in people's lives. But I got to tell you, after you sign the contract, get ready because what's going to show up, the ditch which is coming in and the concrete trucks backing up, your yard is going to be a mess, isn't it? Okay. The kids are around. The wife may or may not be at home. The husband may be at home with all these home offices now. So it's noisy. These trucks are going to show up. These workers you don't even know are going to be in your yard and they're going to be looking in the house. Imagine a pool company okay, that can pull off building your pool and when they're done and leave, you look at your backyard, you look at your front yard and you say, wow, it's nicer than when they came. Okay? That is delivering on your promise plus 1% if that's what you agree to do. <laughs> Great pool companies agree to do that. Okay? okay. Good pool companies don't agree to do that and there's a difference in pricing. So when you ask the impact on a business, okay, a great pool company can charge more because they do that. A good pool company does less than that. That makes sense. Of course, we're talking about delivering great customer service. We've still got to get the customer. Exactly. How about attracting that customer in the first place? Exactly. <laughs> the key to this is always what we're doing in um, – in lead generation. How are we generating leads to our business? How are we broadcasting the promise? I always tie it back to the promise. So client fulfillment was to define our promise. Lead generation is to broadcast our promise. If you just think that way, you never miss. So how are we broadcasting our promise? To the pool story, if you do a killer job at my house putting that pool in, John, do you know how many people I'm going to tell about that great pool you put in? So I am a satisfied client, and I am handing out your business cards like crazy. And I may even do a testimonial for you. I'll let you use me to broadcast my promise. Okay? Imagine that. Have you ever had a good car buying experience, John? You ever bought a car from a dealer and had a good experience? If you do, you tell the story. You ever had a bad experience buying a car, John? And how many people do you tell? A hundred times more people than you told about the good one. So it's very important in broadcasting the promise through lead generation that you create the message, you get the right advertising channel set up, and that you're putting that message out there. Once you've got the leads, there's a step between capturing a lead and actually converting that lead into a paying customer. Exactly. We call that offering the opportunity. So again, it's all tied to what our promise was, then we broadcast it. Now all we're doing is offering the opportunity. Too many people try to sell. You don't have to sell. You engage them. You connect with them. You share your promise. Share what you promise to do. You offer them the opportunity. And the better job you do in lead generation by broadcasting your promise, the much easier it is to offer the opportunity and have someone say yes. Well, now, let's change the viewpoint just for a moment. Let's suppose I'm not a business owner, Jeff. Okay. And actually... Don't plan to be one. Mm -hmm. I'm in a great job. I love the company I work for. I plan to be highly successful and rise to the top of my company mm -hmm. and to generate affluence for myself through my success in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. Does anything that you're telling me here apply to my situation or should I switch off and move to the next tape? No, it's <laughs> that's a great question. Um, actually... The key, to, the key to what you just said is that if every key position in our companies would look at their business or look at their job as a business, you could get amazing results. So what I'm saying is, let's say you're actually the uh, head of a particular division. What do you want to be the head of, John? The division of what? Oh, I'd like to be the head of the division of aircraft maintenance because it would be a real aircraft change of profession for me. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. So John is currently the head of aircraft maintenance, but you view that as a job. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're the head of aircraft maintenance. That's what your business card says. You're proud of that puppy, man. You're the head of aircraft maintenance. Okay. Yeah. If I can get you to view your business as a maintenance business of aircraft. Mm-hmm. Now I've elevated your point of view to, wow, I run a maintenance business for aircraft. 
Now I've taken you beyond a job and asked you to look at it as a business. So as a business now, John, what are the things that you're going to have to do different? John, you might have to lead. You might have to learn how to be a leader, okay? Because leadership is not necessarily natural, mm-hmm. okay? You can learn how to be a leader. You can learn leadership skills, okay? Mm-hmm. It's difficult uh, to manage people, isn't it, John? Yes. Okay? You know why? Because you're trying to manage people, and mm-hmm. nobody likes to be managed. Mm-hmm. I've noticed. Okay? Try managing your spouse. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Okay? Nobody likes to be managed. But what we can do, John, is give you tools okay, that can support your leadership style with management systems. And one of those would be, we call it a position agreement. Okay? Most people go to work, John. If people were to go to work in your maintenance company now and you were to hire them, what you now do when they come to work for you is you tell them what their job is, okay? They come to work for you and they get a paycheck every two weeks. What if they sat down with you and you've given them this job description, all this stuff you want them to do, okay? It's just a nightmare. It's a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Okay? What if you actually gave them a position agreement that discussed the result that you wanted them to get, okay? At the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year, here's the result we would like you to have, okay? So now you're beginning to lead and manage because we're beginning to teach you how to think about your job as, in fact, a company. So if you, anybody listening to these tapes that's in a senior position in a company, if they will begin to look at their position, which is their job, as a business, They can begin to see how to operate that from a different paradigm. It can greatly shift the life they have in that company. Well, that makes sense if I am running, say, the division of a large company and I have my own budget and I'm responsible for hiring staff. What if I'm the receptionist? That's great. So a lot of people say we can never keep somebody that's a receptionist. They're constantly wanting to move up, aren't they? They constantly want to do something else in our company. Or we say, wow, that receptionist has been with us 20 years. How does a receptionist stay with us for 20 years? Mm -hmm. The only way they do that is that receptionist looks at her job or his job as a public relations business. They look at it as exactly like I said to you. They look at it as a business. So they look at their job as a PR business. Imagine that's what they are. The phone rings. It's the first touch, isn't it? Okay. Even today, if it's voicemail, it's still the first touch. So what if that receptionist is answering that phone coming from the point of view that, in fact, they run their own public relations business? It can completely change the mindset of the man or woman occupying that position. We've been talking about applying the principles of entrepreneurship to a job within a company. Exactly. What's an action that I can take immediately to begin reframing my job as an entrepreneurial business? So the first thing you have to do is you got to give yourself a new title. So simply look at your position and say, I need a new title for this position, and you need to title yourself okay, as viewing your job as a small business. So you are now you know, the CEO of the delivery company. Okay? So that would be just if you were a driver making deliveries. You can now be the CEO of the delivery company. It will immediately change your point of view about your job. You just went from being the delivery guy to being the CEO of a delivery company. So it'll open your mind and it'll open your life to new possibilities by doing that. Okay, if I'm understanding everything you've been saying up to now, one of the most fundamental things in this entrepreneurial game, one of the things that's really going to decide whether one is successful or not, is systems, creating systems, and they have to be written systems. It's this element of creating systems and identifying the different components and the different roles that's going to get me from owning a job to owning a business. It is truly what will define allowing you to become an entrepreneur and own an entrepreneurial business and occupy the position as the leader and as the visionary and as the person that puts in the capital. Rather than, here's the story, if I'm going to buy your company, John, When I come to see it and do my due diligence and I walk in, I want you to shake my hand and say, hey, Jeff, let me show you how my company works. I don't want to walk in and have you say, hey, Jeff, let me show you how I work. Otherwise, you have to buy me. Correct. 
and you're unemployable, so it doesn't work. Because <laughs> entrepreneurs are unemployable, they can't work for anybody. Yeah. Okay. So I want to buy an operating company, and I'm going to ask you for the operations manual. Because otherwise, if you're connected to all, what if you're a company of five? And hmm. four of them are leaving if I buy your business. Hmm. Your business is worth nothing, John. Zero. I don't want it. So if entrepreneurship is for me a pathway to creating wealth, I need to build the company in a way that it is not purely dependent on me or specific individuals. It needs to become a system that I've created with my own operating systems. Exactly. But that don't depend on me being present. That's unique to the promise that you have decided to give, which is what entrepreneurship is all about. Okay, we've been talking about making the job or the business the servant of my life and not the other way around. Right. Give me some actions I can take okay. to make that dream into a reality. Okay. First of all, you have to want to have some fun and you have to want to celebrate. So business is too serious these days. So uh, we, we miss, you know, I, I remember the days where you used to, uh, you used to give high fives. You know, you'd hit certain benchmarks or milestones in your day or your job, and you'd give a high five or be congratulated by somebody. You don't see it anymore. Okay? The high fives are gone. They're moving right into the next project, always driven, 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 driven. So bring some celebration and bring some fun into your workplace and into your job. And then just celebrate that you could have, you know, take a step. What would be an amazing step you could take that would have an impact on your profession or life. You can celebrate that. So it can be private. It can be your own private initiative <laughs> that you're going to celebrate that would have an amazing impact. Maybe it's back to learning. Maybe it's back to reading. Maybe it's back to spending more time with your kids. Maybe it's about some new commitment you made to your significant other. It can be a private deal, okay? But it could greatly impact the business. To help me imagine this, give me some ways to celebrate. I mean, what, what might I do at the end of the day when I feel I've made a real advance in? How about during the day? Okay. How, how about during the day? <laughs> take five minutes. Take a time out. Go outside and, you know, smell the air and look up and say thank you. Take a time out. Go tell somebody. Uh, journal. A lot of people write. See, I got a little black book here. It's got no, uh, no addresses in it. It's my journal. I write all the time. I have thousands of these. Okay? My life is in these little uh, black books I've carried around for 12 years. I'm sure there's a good book in there somewhere. But it's just a, it's a way to capture a thought. So for me, that's a celebration. Like when we finish doing this, you know, I'll go to a coffee shop and I'll enjoy a nice espresso. And I'll take some, write down some notes about how cool this was spending a few hours with you. Well, Jeff Burrows, thank you very much. I'd like to ask you one last question. As we're entering the first 90 days on our pathway to creating a new level of prosperity, what's one last thought or suggestion that you could give me to bear in mind as I step out on the first 90 days in my journey in entrepreneurship? I told you the story earlier that some 25,000 businesses have uh, run through our system, but some 300,000 businesses, okay, were involved in the development of the system, and over 2 million businesses have considered doing it. The point to the story, 2 million considered doing it, 25,000 did it. What my message to you, John, would be is do it. Take action, okay? Take this sucker out of the wrapper, <laughs> listen to it, do the workbook, okay, and implement it. It'll change your life. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for listening. For the best results from this program, turn to the relevant section in your workbook and begin the action steps. You can also find out more about the presenters in the workbook.